Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Roxanne Borneman, and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to any visitors who are joining us this morning. Since 1858, UUWASA has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or your economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Between Sundays, we'd love to have you at one of our classes or events, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. You can also download a QR code that might help you download and register for some of the classes. That can be helpful. We've got just um, a couple of brief announcements. Again, back to the circuit writer, it's coming up and out, published by Donica very soon. So if you have any information that you feel needs to go into the circuit writer, please get in touch with her by Thursday, May 25th. Secondly, a really important announcement, and we're looking for help. Please help our church celebrate Pride with UUWASA on Saturday, June 3rd. UUWASA is going to be hosting a booth, as it has in the past, at the River District's Pride Fest on 400 block. And your help is needed to both set up the booth, staffing the booth during the event, and taking down the booth. Check out the volunteer form for details and to sign up to volunteer during Pride you can just check your yellow pages with all the details. I've done it, it's a wonderful event, it's fabulous. I can't say enough positive things about it. It's fun to help, it's fun to be there. Bring your families and celebrate. Now, as we begin to worship together, let's take a moment to extend peace and blessings to one another. Please rise and greet your neighbors. Okay, hate to breaking up the party here. So dear friends, let's gather our hearts and our minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the chalice lighting. The words are printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith 
as we gather together. Please rise as you're willing and able and join in singing opening hymn number 301, Touch the Earth, Reach the Sky. please stay standing and join me in the church's affirmation. You'll find the words in the order of worship. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other in our doxology.
Good morning. So today is the last Sunday of the RE year, and we always celebrate it with games and parties. So I thought for our time for early just today, we would play a game together. We are going to play the UU version of Have You Ever, or Have I Ever. If you know that, we're going to play a very PG version. So if you don't know how to play, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you have done that, or your answer is yes, you're going to raise your hand. And I'm going to pause between each question, so I invite you to look around and see those who are saying yes and those who are saying no. So we'll start with one that's easy. Have you ever had a birthday? (laughs) Have you ever eaten too much? Have you ever had a haircut? Have you ever had a haircut you didn't like? Have you ever held a frog? Have you ever met a famous person? Have you ever been a vegetarian? Have you ever known someone who lived to be over 100 years old? Have you ever done, either willingly or unwillingly, the splits? Have you ever seen a moose? Wished you could fly. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever meditated? Have you ever gone on a retreat? Have you ever observed the Sabbath? Have you ever taken part in a mindfulness activity? Lots of hands. Do you find being in nature peaceful? Do you consider yourself a Christian? Do you consider yourself a non-theist or an atheist or agnostic? Do you consider yourself a pagan? Do you consider yourself a Buddhist? Do you consider yourself a Unitarian Universalist? For those who raised your hand, how many of you have been Unitarian Universalists since childhood? How many of you grew up unchurched or with little or no religion in your family? How many of you had a friend who wanted to do something that was wrong? How many of you stood up to a friend who wanted to do something that you thought was wrong? How many of you have helped care for someone? Picked up litter. Feel everyone should be treated fairly and with kindness. Stood up for someone who was being treated unfairly or unkind. I love seeing all those hands think there should be more love and justice in the world. Awesome. So in addition to seeing maybe some cool stories that you might want to hear during coffee hour, I really want to hear about all these haircuts. (laughs) I'm hoping you took time and noticed all the commonalities and differences we have in our congregation. We all come from different backgrounds, we all have different spiritual practices and beliefs, but there's a lot more in common we had with each other. We often say UU churches were that we're like-minded, but I think we're actually more like-hearted. 
We may all have different beliefs and experiences, but we all share the same values. So thank you for sharing in our game this morning. The elementary RE group is going to head over to the lobby for outside games because we're going to go play Giant Connect 4 while you all get to hang out with Brian. <laughs> I jest. I jest. So I'm going to invite you to bless our children off while they go play games with May Peace Surround You. That's one way to throw Brian under the bus there. We're... Uh, turning to money. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by all of your generous support, our friends, our members. So again, we're not passing a plate around. We've placed the basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop your gift in. You can, of course, also um, use our website, which is actually easy to use, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time, or hopefully, reoccurring gift with your credit or your debit card. And always, thank you so much for all of your generous support, not only for our congregation, but for the groups that come in and talk about the wonderful social justice projects they're involved in. Your generous support is just unbelievable. Thank you very much.
like to invite all of you to join me in a spirit of meditation and prayer. I think good praying takes your whole body. And so what I do is I put my feet on the ground, which you're welcome to do as well. If you meditate or pray with your eyes closed, now is a good time to close them. As you move into this moment of calm, take a couple of deep breaths. Let us pray. Spirit of all grace, when we take the time to understand and savor the richness of the gift of life, we find it bound together with pain of war and violence, and we cannot feel a way to grasp it. O oh, holy passion, we come hoping, half hoping, not to find you here, half wanting just the quiet of the morning, not the clamor of the life we're living. The pains of life, the anguish of death and separation, the slow ache of neglect and poverty, the sharp edge of greed, of disregard. These pains seem to move with us. They live in our bodies, even as we let the joy on offer slip out of sight. O Spirit of creation and community, help us to know and be part of your healing presence. Now, dear friends, I invite you to call into your mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 16, "'Tis a Gift to Be Simple," in the gray hymnal.
For this, morning's, for this morning's sermon, I thought I would share Billy Collins' poem entitled Downpour. And the poet writes, Last night we ended up on the couch trying to remember all of the friends who had died so far. And this morning I wrote them down in alphabetical order on the flip side of the shopping list you had left on the kitchen table. So many of them had been swept away as if by a hand from the sky. It was good to recall them, I was thinking, under the cold lights of a supermarket as I guided a cart with a wobbly wheel up and down the long strident aisles. I was on the lookout for blueberries, English muffins, linguine, heavy cream, light bulbs, apples, Canadian bacon, and whatever else was on the list, which I managed to keep grocery side up until I passed through the electric doors when I stopped to realize, as I turned the list over, that I had forgotten Terry O'Shea, as well as the bananas and the bread. It was pouring by then, spilling, as they say in Ireland, people splashing across the lot to their cars. And that is when I set out, walking slowly and precisely a soaking wet man bearing bags of groceries, walking as if in a procession, honoring the dead. I felt I owed this to Terry, who was such a strong painter for almost forgetting him, and to all the others who had formed a circle around him on the screen in my head. I was walking more slowly now, in the presence of the compassion the dead were extending to a comrade. Plus, I was in no hurry to return to the kitchen where I would have to tell you all about Terry and the bananas and the bread. Here it ends the reading.
Thank you to the choir this morning. It's always wonderful to hear. It's my first time since I've been back. I don't know if it's <clears throat> because I was gone for four months or what, but yesterday I think I wrote four different sermons trying to break through the dam that's uh, built up in my mind. Uh, I could do a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure this morning. I have a manuscript, don't worry. This isn't going to get that, it's going to get weird, but it's not going to get that weird. <laughs> I thought I could share with you this uh, Twilight Zone uh, mental exercise I've been developing um, about where you wake up and every single person on earth is you. That could be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> The message there is unity, not uniformity. Um, I could also give you a prescription uh, for the good life, and I could give you like a hundred ways to make your life miserable, which is the way I'm leading. I thought I'll just tell you all how you can make your life miserable uh, for 12 minutes this morning. You all look like you need it. Um, I'll just start there, and if it doesn't go well, I'll do the twilight zone, and if nothing else, it's 77 degrees outside today, so I'm saved by nature. Um, anyways, what I can say undeniably is that I've always taken life seriously whenever I address this congregation from the pulpit. Uh, a minister is maybe one of the last proper generalist jobs in the world. You have to do a lot of stuff, right? And uh, I would go so far as to say there is no important job a minister does than this, taking life seriously from a pulpit. Last weekend, I wasn't here right after I got back from sabbatical because I drove down to St. Louis um, for my baby sister's graduation. She graduated from Washington University's School of Social Work, and it was amazing. Uh, to get to be there and see family. And uh, it actually turned out that one of the commencement speakers was actually someone I went to seminary with, uh, which made me feel grossly inadequate. Um, <laughs> she gets invitations to address WashU. I mean, I get to address all of you. That's not Slim Pickens, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> all things being equal, that's pretty sweet to get to address a university. And one of the things that she told this group of graduating people, and mind you, the people that she was addressing were people who have these freshly minted master's degrees and these doctorates and social work and social policy and public health. These are ambitious people, right? I think that's an uncontroversial thing to say about them. And my friends addressed to this group of very, very ambitious, smart people who have a degree from a very fancy university at this point in their life, ultimately her advice was this. You need to take the world very seriously and you need to take yourself pretty lightly. Did you hear that? Take the world very seriously and take yourself a bit more lightly. So in the next 12 minutes, unless this goes south, I'm. I'm going to focus on the latter half of that prescription, taking ourselves lightly, by offering you several ways that people take themselves entirely too seriously. I can't speak for you, but I am an expert 
when it comes to focusing on petty annoyances. Do you all know what I'm talking about? The coupon person at Walgreens? Why do they exist? I don't understand. They're always there. Okay, I have many petty annoyances. And I try to remember this about myself, but I, too often I forget this, and I end up making myself miserable at least once a week. When I was a kid, in fact, my mom noticed this about me, and she would say, Brian, do you enjoy making yourself miserable? And I guess the answer to that is, I guess I kind of did. <laughs> In my dad's library, he had this lovely library growing up, and he had this copy of Fred Morimarco's book, Recipe for Unhappiness. Have any of you ever heard of this book? It's an old one. Anyways, here are his ingredients for how, for how to make your life unhappy. I'll go through the whole recipe because it's awesome. Okay. It, the recipe for unhappiness is one cup, one is... One cup, inability to accept what is. Three tablespoons of complaints. One teaspoon of light whining. A quarter pound of alternate scenario, preferably unattainable. One bunch of actual reality. One pint of an idealized worldview. Two teaspoons of perfection and then four small sprigs of envy minced for garnish. <laughs> and here's how you cook this recipe. In a large bowl, you whisk together what is with an equal amount of the inability to accept what is. And then you stir in the complaints and let sit until brooding and sulking start to bubble up. At that point, you then add in a light dash of whining, especially in the company of friends, but be careful not to over-season or your friends will leave. <laughs> in a separate bowl, add alternate scenario to actual reality from your garden and separate all the leaves from the stem. And then try to reattach the leaves in the exact same <laughs> pattern that existed before you separated them. Pour in your idealized worldview and process in a food processor. When the mixture is pureed, add to what is, inability to accept what is, and then blend. And then add exactly two teaspoons of perfection and let stand until tears form in your eyes. And then garnish with a little bit of minced envy and serve immediately. This is the recipe for how to live a bad life. But I'm going to be turning 40 next year, and I've been working on this recipe for a long time, since childhood. <laughs> and so what I want to share with you this morning is my recipe for how you can live a miserable life. Now, I'm going to walk you into hell this morning, but I promise, <laughs> as long as you don't let go, I'm going to drag you out. Um, but it's only at the last four paragraphs, so anyways. So the first ingredient that I learned as a schoolboy is all you need to do to lead a miserable life is to question your gifts and talents and then constantly compare them to other people. Especially you need to compare them to people who live in houses you covet, who drive cars you can't and never will be able to afford, and who take vacations and annoyingly post them on Facebook that cost more than your mortgage. I have some more concrete examples because I'm very, very good at this. Let's imagine you have a coworker who is loved by everyone. 
What I want you to do at this point is I want you to focus on how loud they laugh at everyone's jokes and how loud everyone laughs at their jokes. But ignore that this person describes all of their exes and all of their old bosses as if they're Satan incarnate. And then ignore the fact that when the cameras aren't, war, war, aren't rolling, they're almost always telling you that they are about to have a nervous breakdown. In order to lead a miserable life, forget all of that and just focus all of your attention on the attention they get and they give to everyone else but you. I have some more examples. There's that next door neighbor of yours who has a new car, and clothes that he obviously didn't buy at Goodwill, where your wife buys all of your clothes, maybe that's autobiographical. He has everything anyone could ever want, and the UPS guy actually just dropped off a new package on his porch the size of your dining room table. Of course, every summer at the neighborhood get-together, your fancy neighbor who has everything seems to drink himself into oblivion while bickering with his wife off in the corner. But instead of asking if everything's okay, just keep thinking about how much you deserve a house with new siding, a front porch that doesn't sag, and a car that doesn't sound like a lawnmower. Another example. Now I want you to focus on all the traits others have that you don't. And then in your mind, build an idol to those traits. So here's my first piece of advice if you want to make yourself miserable. Covet other people's strengths and overlook all of their deficiencies. But I've got two more steps in this recipe. Let's say your life is going pretty well. Your kids don't hate you. You have a solid, you have a solid relationship with your parents. Friends invite you for supper. You're a good partner and a decent lovemaker. You're pretty good at your job. You enjoy a lot of your life. You show up to things at church and pay your pledge on time. Thank you very much. <laughs> and when your neighbor asks you to, you almost always are willing to lend a hand. You're also a really good Wausauite, right? You shop at the farmer's market. You don't buy your books at Amazon.com. You shop at a bookstore that rhymes with schmankies, right? <laughs> You also try really hard to pretend that the pizza in Wausau is edible, even though it's not. <laughs> Sorry. You pick up litter as you stroll on Wausau's wonderful, shady sidewalks. And you actually refrain from flipping people off who clearly don't know that cars are the ones that stop at crosswalks. I've never lived anywhere. I walked across two countries. People would, and I'm not gonna go there. I've never been at, this is crazy. <laughs> If the mayor alone, the next person, challenged the next man and said, I will make people stop at crosswalks, I'd go, done. That is my mayoral candidate. All along that line, you're a good Wausauite because you know who's running for mayor, and you have a balanced opinion of the recent drama on the school board. Lord have mercy. Anyways. Moreover, you are a... <laughs> Amen. Moreover, you're a well-informed citizen of the world. You're such a well-informed citizen of the world, Whenever Ukraine came into the news, you sat down and you Googled for a YouTube video to teach you how to say Zelensky correctly. You've even read a few chapters in how to be anti-racist. You volunteer at McLitt and the neighbor's place every once in a while. You're someone, if you say so yourself, you would take home to mom, as the saying goes. 
Now I want you to forget all of that stuff you do because you always want to think about how last week you only worked out one or two times and both times you did, you barely broke a sweat because your sister keeps calling you to try to get your recipe for toasted ravioli. You were also fidgeting with your phone trying to find the perfect playlist instead of just walking the track. Then you need to remember that you've spent the last two years pretending to like camping because you really want to get invited to the Cool Kid Camping Club camping trip, even though the Cool Kid Camping Kids pretend like you don't exist most of the time. You need to look around at all of those mountains you've climbed in your life, all those things you've actually accomplished, and you need to disregard all of those mountains and think of them as nothing more than Rib Mountain which is really just a big hill, if we're being honest. (laughs) Forget about all the things that you do and you do well, and just think about how dumb you can be. Think of a goal that you'd like to accomplish, but make sure the goal that you want to accomplish is something that's impossible, and then beat yourself up for not being able to do it. I've got another example. Now let's assume you have a decent job, which is to say an equally comfortable and difficult relationship with the people close to you. You're close with your spouse, your in-laws, your children, your coworkers, your congregants, your friends. But let's assume that you just have a little bit more around the waistline than you would prefer, right? That once voluminous hairline that hairdressers used to just fawn over, it's just rapidly moving further, further back on my head every single year. And for good measure, we might as well assume that you have at least one easily diagnosable neuroses, like, because we all do. In other words, life's not perfect, but it's okay. But rather than accept your okay life, I want you to try and change everything. So tomorrow, get up and jog 10 miles, get hair transplanted from your nether regions to the top of your head, (laughs) file for divorce, and download Tinder. Better yet, I want you to mortgage your house, quit your job, lease a sports car, and invest everything in my Bitcoin. That's what I want you to do. Because we all know that life is really just one daring choice away from having all of our dreams fulfilled, just like in the movies. But to achieve this, you must take my second piece of advice on how to make yourself miserable. You need to overlook absolutely everything you've ever accomplished, and instead focus all of your attention on your wants and your weaknesses, as well as everyone else's. But in order to do this, you actually have to assume that there's nothing you can do to actually get better. A couple more examples. Imagine that you can get angry easily. I won't ask you to raise your hand because we'd all raise our hand. I want you to imagine that sometimes you can be lazy. Again, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I saw how many people of you raised your hand whenever Jess asked if you eat a little too much. All of you. And all of these things we know, they can be worked on, right? We can work on these things with a therapist or our pastor or some accountability partner. But you have to assume that there's nothing you can do to be a calmer person or to be a more active person or to eat better. You need to tell yourself that your powerlessness to change is the result of your upbringing or postmodernism that says everything is relative. 
or because the economy is flated and it's not a good time, or whatever. I mean, we all know that there are some things in our lives that we can actually change. I've seen it, you've seen it. We can actually get sober. We can actually get nicer. We can actually be honest. We can pay better attention to our kids and our spouse. We can start applying what our pastor says on Sundays, on Mondays, and maybe even stretch it into Tuesday. We can cut back on how much time we spend playing with our glowing doohickeys and go on more walks. But you see, if the goal is unhappiness, you need to ignore every bit of knowledge you have about change and growth and accountability and blame all your problems on other people. On the other hand, we all know that there are some things in life that absolutely cannot be changed. But when you're trying to make yourself miserable, you have to assume that everything in your life that's unchangeable is changeable. For example, have you ever seen like a low-key person experiment with being the life of the party? It generally doesn't go well. Or how about this, have you ever seen someone who's five feet four inches tall in high heels try to dunk a basketball? It just doesn't work. Or have you ever seen someone who's six feet seven inches tall trying to fit into a 1997 Mazda Miata? It just doesn't work. So you have to passively accept every one of your flaws, deficits, weaknesses that can be corrected, and you have to blame them on everyone you come in contact with. Of course, you're going to end up failing at all of this, but don't worry. If you fail at this, you can just tell yourself that you're a martyr and throw yourself a good old pity party. Or you can do one of humankind's most popular pastimes and notice all the ways other people aren't as perfect as you. You'll see that perfectionism is yet another delightful way to ruin your life. But don't worry. I have saved the best for last. Really, all you need to do to lead a miserable life is just pick one of these things and do it well. Set impossible goals, point out everything you don't like about others, send your pastor and your sister and your city council members emails about all the ways they're bad at their job, how you're smarter than them, how you deserve better. But when this sermon slowly fades from your mind, and I'm going to pray it does fade from your mind very quickly, I hope that you'll remember upon an occasion to ask yourself a few questions. And here are the questions. Why, after living a life in which I've yet to achieve perfection, do I fail to forgive others for being imperfect? Why do I hold people to standards I often don't even keep for myself? Why do I ridicule people behind their back for decisions that were theirs alone, for believing things I don't understand, for praying about things I know nothing of? The truth about us is that we are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe. But at the exact same time, we are more loved and accepted by divine embrace than we ever hoped. And at its best, this faith that we practice is a source of light and a source of hope. It reminds us that our purpose here should not be transactional, but transcendent in the ways that matter most. Our bottom line is individuals should be fixed on connection 
rather than competition. As humans, we come from the same source and we all share the same destiny. And we are responsible to each other and we are responsible for each other. And in all seriousness, if you're struggling to think of ways to spend your time doing something other than beating yourself or others up, here's a suggestion I stumbled on a couple weeks ago in the New York Times. Spend time trying to get in contact with things and people and places that make you feel alive. Try and live in a way that makes you want to change and grow and love. Admit occasionally that you're a dysfunctional mess, but don't let it stop you. Let it change you. Let it remind you that you are alive, that today is not the same as yesterday and that the future will be different. And that because tomorrow will be different, that is reason alone enough to keep on going, to find out what that change is gonna be. And so my advice, my commencement speak address is to remember to take the world seriously and yourself a bit more lightly. Amen. If you would join me in spirit or body and rise to sing hymn number 1064 in the teal hymnal, Blue Boat Home.
I invite you to reach out and take the hand of someone nearby. If you're here alone, reach out with your hearts. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Have a seat, relax and enjoy the postlude.